Not many of you here are as old as me. When I was five years old, Paul Simon released a song called I Am a Rock. And it's written from the viewpoint of a person who has deliberately isolated himself from the, from the world to avoid the hurt that can sometimes come with relationships. And it's hard not to feel sad listening to the lyrics, which say things like this. I've built walls, a fortress deep and mighty that none may penetrate. I have no need of friendship. Friendship causes pain. I touch no one, and no one touches me. And the final lines of the song are these. I am a rock. I am an island. And a rock feels no pain, and an island never cries. But we know that that simply isn't true. And I'm assuming Paul Simon knew that it wasn't true as he wrote it. He knew the phrase, no man is an island, and was using irony. He was expressing what he wanted to communicate by using language that says the opposite in order to make a powerful point. That isolated person in the song may well be saying, I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine on my own. But we all know, don't we, that those words are hollow. Being alone, far from protecting us from pain and tears, can be the source of a great deal of heartbreak and anguish. Research has shown that social isolation can be as damaging to our health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day and is linked with greater risks of coronary heart disease, type 2 diabetes, and other health issues. We're simply not designed to be isolated. The truth that we need each other is something that writers of the Bible understood thousands of years before the scientific evidence. Two weeks ago, it was our annual Vision Sunday, and I shared that over the coming months, we will be leaning into and the outworking of a little phrase, needed and known. If you missed that Sunday, I really recommend that you watch it on the website. It's very visual. It's got a lot of pictures. It's got films. So it's so much better watched than it is listened to on a podcast. So over the next two weeks, we're going to be looking at what the Bible says, just a glimpse really, about what it means to be needed and what it means to be known. So this morning, we'll be looking at the first of those two words, being needed. There are many picture uh, many pictures which the Bible uses to describe the church, which reflect the idea that we need each other. Images such as the church being a family of brothers and sisters, or a building made up of interconnected living stones. But today, we're going to look at a picture of the church which Paul, one of the writers of the New Testament, uses, that is the picture of a body, the body of Christ. And he refers to this picture in a few of his letters, so let's have a look at what he says in some of them. Firstly, Jesus is the head of the body, the church across the world, and of each individual expression of it. And the Apostle Paul writes in his letter to the church in Ephesus, in Ephesians 4, 15, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. There are not many places you'll find such a diversity 
of people from such different backgrounds and experiences so connected with each other as we will find in the church, this church and the expressions right across the world. And what God intends is that as Jesus leads us and holds us all together, each individual would function as they are designed to function, each part doing its work for the good of the whole, joined together in love such that the body grows and is strengthened. In his letter to the church in Rome, Paul describes the body of Christ this way in Romans 12, verse 4. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. The Christian faith is not a private and personal matter, something that's just between me and God. You know, I can be a Christian. I don't need to be part of a church. That's actually erroneous. It's not biblical thinking. Of course, we believe that through Jesus, each one of us can have a personal and deeply intimate relationship with God the Father. But as well as that, to be a Christian is to be part of something bigger than yourself, to be a member of the body, the body of Christ. It's not just about our personal faith. We are not islands but rather each member belongs to the others. And this is the way God designed the church. Why? Well, because God knows how things work well, and he knew that we would be better together. When American universities abolished segregation, a significant difference in the performance of students from different backgrounds became apparent. The Asian students were consistently top of the class, and their African-American peers were getting lower grades. Now, the African-American students were highly motivated, really capable. They came from supportive families. So why were their results so different? There was one key factor that they identified and corrected. The African-American students studied alone, while their Asian classmates almost always studied in groups, helping, testing, encouraging one another. So they created African-American student study groups. And what happened? The average grade of those students moved from a D-plus to a B-plus. And the same is true of our relationship with God. When we commit to being members of the same body, we can experience what the study groups did for these students. It's not about getting a better score. God is not marking us. But sharing our journey of faith with each other spurs us on. It... Uh, helps us learn, it encourages us, we feel supported, and so on. Not all of us are good at asking for or accepting help when we need it. We may pride ourselves in our independence, believing somehow that it's just needy people who, are, you know, who need others. But, and asking for help is, we may feel, a sign of weakness. But refusing help when we need it and refusing to ask for it actually is really unhealthy and it's an expression of pride. We all do better when we are supported. We all need each other. So being part of a body means recognizing that we need each other, but it also means recognizing that we are needed because each member has a function. Just think for a moment how perfectly the human body is designed. Every cell, every organ constructed and designed perfectly to fulfill its job. 
Like, let's take your muscles. When a muscle contracts, it pulls on the bone it's attached to so that you can move. Now, muscles can only do one thing, basically. They can pull. They're not able to push. So muscles are pretty useless unless they work with others um, in pairs or in groups. So one muscle will contract and pull a joint in one direction. Another muscle will then contract and pull it in the other. So if we had biceps and we didn't have any triceps, we could do one thing, and that is we could pull. We could lift, we could bend our arm or let it hang limp. There's basically the only two options. Bend it or let it hang limp. Pretty useless. Can't push anything at all. Sometimes it takes many muscles to do a simple action. For example, how many do you think I'm using right now, even if I stand still? Speaking to you, apparently I'm using 72 muscles. And what I'm now doing, actually I'm using those 72 and possibly engaging nearly 200 more because I'm walking. The parallel is clear, I think. The picture that Paul wants to paint for us is that all of us working together is for the good of the whole. And even those parts which are unseen have a function. Think for a moment with me about the spleen. Now, very few of us here, maybe a few medics, would have ever seen one. I'd never seen one. I did A-level biology, but I forgot what a spleen looked like. I had no idea. I thought it was a lot bigger than it was. had no idea where it was. Let's do a little test here, because some of you are medics, and you can immediately do this. But others, put your hand where you think your spleen is. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's good. Debbie, yes. John, no, wrong side, mate. But I'm just looking around. <laughs> wrong side for you, sir. This is where your spleen is. And that's the size of it, basically. Now, we might have heard of it. Most of us have heard of a spleen. We've never seen a real one. And um, we may have a sense that somehow it's important, but how many of us have any idea what it actually does? Just raise a hand, I'm not going to ask you, but, you know, do you know what it does? Okay, not many, about five people in the room. I had no idea what it did either. I had to Google it last night to even know where it was or what it looked like. Um, it filters our blood. It manages the number of red cells that carry oxygen through our bloodstream. It manages the platelets, which help blood clot. And uh, it detects bacteria, detects viruses in our blood. It produces white blood cells to fight off those infections. It's very, very important. Now, apparently, we can live without a spleen. If we get a ruptured spleen, it has to be taken out. It can work. Other body parts will take over many of its important functions, but they're not going to be able to do it really well, not like the spleen does it. Without one, we will be more likely to get infections, and when we do, we will be ill for longer. It will take longer to recover. Like our bodies, if, if one part suffers, then all the parts feel that suffering. Those of us with chronic conditions, some of you have chronic back pain, you know the impact of one body part not functioning as it's designed to. Now we can muddle through, we can, you know, our bodies can compensate a bit for that, but ultimately the whole body suffers when parts are not functioning as God has created them to do. So Paul continues in the next verse with Romans 12 verse 6, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. 
If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, then do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Whatever gifts we have, whatever grace we have, Paul exhorts us to be faithful in that and do it. Do it well. Lean into that. Each member of the body has a function and members have different gifts. And there are a number of passages, including that one we just read uh, in Romans, where Paul lists different gifts. Now, these are not meant to be exhaustive lists of all the gifts that God might distribute, but are used to illustrate the diversity of gifts used in the church. So, for example, in this passage, Paul describes those who might be particularly gifted in the gift of prophecy, those who just love to serve, or those who are particularly you know, attuned to helping others. That's where they really find that they come alive. Those who are gifted at teaching. Some people are just extraordinarily encouraging. I'm rubbish at encouraging people. I have to remember, oh, I'm supposed to say something nice, aren't I? Rather than just be critical. Uh, you know, some people are just gifted at encouraging. Well, let's have the encouragers in the body. Encourage people. Then we'll all be encouraged. Uh, those gifted at leading, um, being extraordinarily generous. Some people are blessed with significant resources and are open-handed with them, can make a huge impact in the life of the church. And this is listed here by Paul as a picture of the many gifts working together for the whole. As we look around this room this morning, think of the amazing gifts and talents, some of which are being used in the service of the church, some of which are lying dormant and latent, uh, not being used, but liberally distributed gifts that God has given. Some of you are incredibly practical, putting your hand to things like how the chairs were laid out this morning, so, so that you can, every one of you in the room doesn't need to turn your head from completely straight on to be able to see me right now. You have enough leg room to sit as comfortably as we can, given the number of people we squeeze in here, but uh, you don't sit there all scrunched up thinking, I wish I'd sat in the row in front where they've got so much more, or the row behind because they're all basically the same. People turn up here early in the morning with long sticks. The aisles are straight, and every row is measured off. They put a lot of effort into the quality of what uh, they've created here in terms of an environment for us to enjoy. Others of you are amazing hosts, cooking meals and welcoming people here on a Sunday or various other events we hold throughout the week. Others still are incredible administrators. I love administrators. I hate administration. And so I love to people around me say, oh, let me do that. It's like, what, you mean you'll write that up and you'll do that and make that thing happen? I don't need, to. this is awesome. I love administrators. And what uh, some of you can do with a spreadsheet is utterly amazing. We bring our different gifts to make this little part of God's church what it is. And it's worth noting that it's not an all or nothing gifting that Paul is talking about here. Some are particularly gifted at something. Some people are very gifted at encouraging. I'm not that gifted. It doesn't mean that I can't encourage people. I need to grow in that. So it doesn't mean that we, the rest of us have nothing to offer just because we're not particularly really gifted at something. But just because some of us don't have the gift of serving, it doesn't mean that we don't serve. We might not all have the gift of teaching, but we all teach. Think of a parent teaching a child or showing someone new to the refreshments rota how to make coffee. We can all operate in all the gifts that God gives us, but if you feel that you're particularly gifted in some area, if you know you're good at something, you probably enjoy doing it, 
And I really would encourage you, as Paul does, to lean into it. And not only will you be fruitful, but you will also find yourself fulfilled, and the church also will be blessed. We're not all the same, but all of us are needed. And according to Paul, the church depends on our difference. If we turn to 1 Corinthians 12, another of these lists, uh, beginning at verse 17, it's interesting as you read the passage here to think about Paul and his humor. Sometimes it can be read, it's just kind of, yeah, yeah, whatever. But actually, I, I was just really struck me yesterday. This is really humorous. He's saying, don't be stupid. Don't be daft. Look at this. Let me paint this picture of a body. So if the whole body were an eye, well, that wouldn't work, would it? If the whole, I added that bit myself. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. God has designed the body with all its various gifts to function beautifully. And if we were all gifted at the same thing, the church would be so much less effective than it is. With all these different members, with such different functions, we might find ourselves looking around and comparing ourselves with others. And Paul addresses head-on the tendency to compare ourselves with others, either unfavorably or favorably. Our sense of self-worth is to be found in each of us being who God uniquely made us to be, not in us thinking, I'm not as gifted as that person. I'm not as important to this body as this person. Not in us thinking, I'm not as gifted as so-and-so, or the opposite. And so firstly, Paul challenges those who might compare themselves with others and think, you know, I'm not really needed. And listen to the humor continuing, 1 Corinthians 12, 15. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. Paul paints the picture of certain body parts, the foot and the ear, comparing themselves to the hand and the eye and thinking, I don't belong, you know, I'm not needed. And as silly as that image may seem, I'm sure that many of us at one time or another have felt that we, what we have to bring to the body is not that important, is less significant. Maybe some of us feel like one of the smallest parts of the body. Um, you know, we might be thinking, well, I'm, what am I? I'm probably like the pinky finger. Do we really need that little thing? It's only tiny. What's it do? Well, you might be encouraged if you feel that to know that um, if a body was to lose its little finger, it would lose up to half of its hand's strength. Sam told me that these ones are primarily for dexterity, these three, and then the actual breadth of the hand is brought into play by the two little, smaller fingers on the outer side. And so you'll lose up to half your hand strength if the little pinky is gone. Wow. Paul says the same is true for us. 
You know, even the little finger is important to the body. However insignificant we might feel, each of us has a unique role to play. And we need to be confident in that. We need to believe that. Whatever we are, however inept we feel or unqualified and ungifted we feel, believe it. When President Kennedy visited the NASA headquarters for the first time, he introduced himself to someone who was cleaning. And he asked the man, what, what do you do at NASA? And the cleaner, with great enthusiasm, replied, I'm helping to put a man on the moon. In the 18th century, hundreds of builders were involved in a huge construction project in Russia. And three of them were mixing mortar or cement, and they were asked what they were doing. And the first replied, I'm mixing cement. The second replied, I'm uh, putting up a wall. The third one had a bigger perspective than that. He said, I am building a magnificent cathedral to the glory of God. The cleaner at NASA and this third man understood what Paul was getting at here. No matter how menial we might think our role is, we all work together together to build up the church and enable it to be all that God has designed it to be. And so Paul encourages us not to compare ourselves with others unfavorably. And then Paul goes on to challenge the thinking of those who might compare themselves favorably with others, thinking that their role is more important than another. And so in verse 21, he says this, The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. A body with an eye and no hands isn't going to be able to get much practical stuff done, to be honest, is it? Right? It may be able to see what needs doing, but it can't get on and do it. So you can't say, I don't need you. And even if a body has a head, it won't go very far without any feet. Paul's saying, respect each other and each other's functions within the church. Everyone is needed. Each has its own function and enhances what the body is able to do. Let's take, for instance, leaders. We need people in leadership roles. We have over 200 people in the life of the church who are leading areas of ministry or small groups or something else. Leaders support the other parts of the body and they enable them to excel in their gifts. In the body of the church, one could liken the leadership structure to the skeleton. Okay? It supports all the parts. And as it grows, it can support more weight. A body without a skeleton isn't going to work very well. Just imagine a human body minus its skeleton, okay? A rather amorphous blob of flesh with eyes that can't see because they're lying on the ground. The lungs can't breathe. The body can't move. And so the church needs people who are gifted in leadership to fulfill their calling. But if everyone was a leader... What good would that be? You'd have a skeleton, you have a load of bones, but actually nothing else really going on at all. So leaders are important, but that doesn't mean that they are to be valued above others who aren't leading. Former US President Theodore Roosevelt once said this, comparison is the thief of joy. Comparing ourselves with others we perceive to be more important or with those we perceive to be less important is a recipe for misery. We need each other, and God has designed the church to be a place where we can not only have our needs met, but we can be needed. 
And I'm sure that those of you who are part of a small group have seen that worked out. One week you're asking your small group for help with something, and the next week you're helping someone else out. And we journey together. We support one another through times of grief and disappointment, through times of suffering. But we also celebrate together, rejoicing in each other's good news, you know, engagements, new jobs, seeing loved ones come to faith. Like parts of a body, we need each other. And there's an invitation this morning for us all to ask, what does it mean for me to be needed here at Trent? What would that look like? How do I, if I don't feel needed, how would I uh, move in that direction? Well, uh, hearing that announcement just now about shape, that course, it begins this Tuesday. It runs for four Tuesday evenings. It starts at 7.30 note. And uh, it's shape, discovering how God wired you, how he created you, what you might be able to really be really fruitful in. And so shape standing for, as they just said, spiritual gifts. What's God gifted you spiritually? You know, what's he given you in terms of gifting? What do you have a heart for? Your abilities, your personality, your personality profile, and your experience. How might that all come together? And you might say, do you know, I would be really good at this. I'm going to sign up and get involved in that area. For some of us, that may be looking at the different areas of ministry and seeing where we can get involved if we aren't already. And some of you may have been involved in the past and then you stop for one reason or another and then you're thinking, actually, I probably could get involved again. It might be tempting to think in a church like this with these great facilities, plenty of people seem to be serving everywhere. Everything seems to work like clockwork and clearly, you know, we, we don't need you. No, no, that's completely wrong. Um, we don't have things covered. To be quite honest with you, I can assure you there are spaces on every one, as far as I'm aware of, we have more than 200 teams functioning every month, and there are spaces, as far as I'm aware, on all of them. Every Sunday, we have 160 people, approximately, who serve in the morning, another 70 in the evening, making just these services happen with all the various age groups. And of course, it's not just Sundays. Throughout the week, there are many of our areas of ministry that need more people. If you are not already serving in an area of ministry, I really would encourage you, go to the Connect area at the end, uh, and they'll be able to help you find something that suits you. And we also have this little form. You can look in there. They're very simple. You can tick a box and say, oh, I quite like to be on the refreshments. Okay, cool, I could do this. And then give that in at Connect, and someone will call you and say, would you like to come and try it out? It doesn't mean you signed your life away. It's basically inviting you to see how did it go. And then if you say, yeah, I'd like to sign up, we're talking about doing it once a month, pretty basic, uh, once a month for probably a couple of hours. But I'd encourage you to fill that in. It may be that you feel unable to join in with an area of ministry that we're running or a rotor, for instance, at this moment, due to your circumstances. You may be going through something that means that you just need to come here and be supported. And that is absolutely fine. It may be that you are physically restricted in what you can do. You might, for instance, commit to praying for the church. Unseen, behind the scenes, but a hugely, hugely valuable ministry. For others of us, the invitation this morning is to ask ourselves, how can I help others feel needed and become involved? Because there are many people here who don't feel needed yet. How can I 
help that happen. Perhaps you are serving in an area of ministry and on a Sunday you meet someone, you've not met them before, maybe they're new, maybe they've been coming for a while. And in the course of the conversation, you might ask them, have you found a small group yet? Or uh, have you found an area of ministry? And often, I've had these conversations so many times with a number of you here, and the answer is often something like, you know, I've been meaning to do that. I, I just haven't got around to it. Or I've been thinking about serving in this particular area, but I, I, I must get around to checking that out. We're not wanting to pressurize anyone to get into a small group or to serve, but if they're open to it, we can help them take the next step towards getting more involved. Maybe walk over to the Connect area with them right then. Or maybe inviting them to come and try the area that you're serving in. You know, I'm on the refreshments team. We'd love to have you join us if you would like to. Can I introduce you to our team leader? Let's just walk over and make it happen now. Here's a crucial thing to understand. Inviting someone to become involved is not an imposition. We're not asking a favor and saying, please, you know, we're short on our team. Would you mind? Would you? I know it's an inconvenience. It's going to be totally unfulfilling for you to do this. You know, would you just please help us out, please? That's not at all. It's the opposite way around. We're calling parts of the body to say, do you know what you are? This is where you fit, and this is how you could function and be really fruitful and fulfilled in the process. And so often it can feel very affirming to be invited you know, uh, it feels here, the way we've got it set up, like the person considering serving is the one who has to be the one taking action. So they have to offer themselves. They have to fill in a form and offer themselves. Or they have to have a conversation at the Connect area or with an individual. And with that, think about it, comes the risk of rejection. Maybe they feel that they might not be gifted enough for that thing. They might not be what the team is looking for. They might be like, you know, I'm not really sure I'm really going to be good at this. And, and they have to step out of their comfort zone and offer themselves. But when we say to someone, I'd love to invite you to join our team, it can be very affirming and very encouraging. And so many people would be happy to serve and are not yet serving because they would benefit from a personal invitation. And that might come from one of you. I heard about someone in Trent Youth who enjoyed coming, but she didn't really feel like she fitted in. And she was asked to serve on the Youth Sunday integration team, and the change has been amazing. She now spends the majority of her time looking for people on their own, talking to them or drawing them in to join in with the main session. And she has talked about how she feels more alive as she gets to help others feel part of Trent Youth. It's an amazing privilege that we have to be a member of the body of Christ, to be part of what he is doing in the church across the world and in this little expression of it here. God has chosen to partner with us, to use our talents and our gifts to enable the church to be everything it was intended to be. And that invitation is extended to us again today.